You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Freedom of movement, the right to privacy. Both are concepts you've probably thought about a little bit differently since the lockdowns and civil liberty intrusions that started in 2020. Even farther back, if you really think about it. Well, our friends at privacypost.io have you covered of something that you're probably going to want to know about if you value both of those things. Privacypost.io is a privacy-by-default virtual mail and business center designed for the location-independent, expat, and international entrepreneur community Anyone seeking financial freedom should consider PrivacyPost.io. Their services include virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, and a Portugal D7 residency in virtual domicile in the privacy-respecting and income-tax-free state of South Dakota. PrivacyPost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud-based platforms invading your personal private, and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. Isn't it time you took it a bit more seriously? PrivacyPost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to PrivacyPost.io for more information today. yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I don't, I don't think it was 2020. I think it may have been 2008. Yeah, it was totally 2008 because George W. Bush was president. I remember um, when the banks were getting bailed out and the stock market crashed. It was in and around the fall of uh, 2008 when everything was just going into absolute shit. Uh, there was this guy who I guess was riding around a moped or something around Wall Street playing uh, Bloody Sunday by U2. And somehow that became the song that represented the big crash and everything as everyone was just losing money left and right. Sunday, bloody Sunday. Yeah. A lot of people are singing that tune right now. Not literally, but each time I see something regarding the current stock market crash, the crypto crash, it's what comes up in my mind. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Hey, thank you once again for joining today, Rumsha W. Martinez. On with the show! Talking about the current crash that is occurring 
in both the stock market and the crypto market. What's been going on? What we can take from this moment? And uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. And please understand that none of this constitutes financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, a tax advisor. I'm a mere entertainer and a public lone wolf just trying to make sense of the world just like you. So please do your own research and consult the professionals when it comes to what to do with your money. We're going to go ahead and start off with a tweet I sent out last week by the time you're hearing this. I'm recording this while currently recovering from the vid. I want to give a shout out to Trish and Hody who managed last week's show and um, to... Um, <coughs> You know, as soon as I had, like, the ball rolling and everything, suddenly my, my throat wants to start fighting me. Um, want, want to go ahead and thank Trisha and Hody last week for managing the show uh, last Thursday. Ironically, I realized that this was around the same time last year that I caught COVID. And uh, Brian Nichols had to sub for not one, but two full episodes. And uh, you all know me, when I have to miss a show, um, I usually try and record a ton in advance, or I'll go ahead and post... Um, episodes of other shows I appeared on on this feed this time it really it really hit me and um I saw it coming out of nowhere I went and had a great uh, bachelor party in Las Vegas with uh with a few of my really good friends the degenerate panel and as soon as I got back um degenerate Derek went ahead and sent me a message and said hey man I'm not feeling really good and I'm like well dude it's ironic you say that because I'm not feeling good either and I instinctively knew it was uh, it was the juice bug again because I lost all taste and immediately I was like I caught the Wuhan Megatron variant and I got tested and I had like the worst nurse to test me. She had to swab me twice so I felt like my brain was being pulled apart and then she was questioning me and lecturing me as if I had committed some type of moral outrage, moral failure by by catching this and. Um, yeah, whatever. So I, I had to take a few days off work, had to quarantine and all that stuff, and uh, couldn't couldn't get anything out. I had nothing to put out, so I had to go ahead and pull in the A-team of uh, podcast hosts from the We Are Libertarians Network. I was able to not just grab one, but grab two of them to host last week's show, and I very much appreciate that. But that did not stop me from shit-talking online, especially when I see morons going out and saying the dumbest shit. Now, you know what's funny about Libertarian specifically? Because Liberty Twitter is where I, I kind of hang out. Everyone kind of has, like, their Twitter niche. Like, I have some friends. It's, like, you know, it's all cars or it's all, like, sports or jujitsu. you know, since I'm also in jujitsu circles. But, um, you know, like, I, I still very much hang out in Libertarian Twitter where you get to see, like, the dumbest freaking people. And, you know, people are always like, you're so mean to libertarians. I thought you are one. And I'm like, man, I just don't, I don't like stupid. I'm a team of one. I don't like stupid. And libertarians, what I will say is that when it comes to public policies, when it comes to history, when it comes to a very specific depth of knowledge, they're incredibly well-read and intelligent when it comes to things like monetary policy, foreign military intervention, constitutional law, stuff like that. Like, they love that. I know that because I used to be the annoying guy talking that stuff um, every five minutes on Facebook, and I had to bring it into every uh, conversation regarding the news. But, um, I mean, some people, sometimes when it comes to money, what I've noticed is that the more of an economist some random person 
on Liberty Twitter tries to sound, the poorer they actually are. And, and I'm not saying like, you know, knowledge wise, I'm like, financially, I know very few rich libertarians. And, and I'm not saying that to diss them, but I have a very basic rule that I don't take advice about money from poor people. And that's not a, that's not a character attack. It's like, why would I take fitness advice from Amy Schumer? Why would I take health advice from Anthony Fauci? Um, you know, just, just little, just little things like that. And, um, I, I've never, I, I, I think I brought this up to Max Golker about a year ago. I don't know if I mentioned on the show, if it was beforehand, but I tossed a joke at him. I'm like, Max, why is it the economists always know what to do with all the money, but they never know how to use their money to get themselves rich? And uh, it, it's this disconnect between how I view the world and how it should be versus how I actually do things myself. I think that's how it is with most people, whether they're... Um, economists or whether they're just regular people that really take a big interest in this type of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm better than most when it comes to money, at least, you know, in terms of what constitutes my happiness, I could pay my bills, I could live comfortably, I can invest, uh, more than 15% of my, um, monthly income compared to what it is for most uh, middle income households. I've got multiple streams of active and passive income, uh, I've got a, I've got a side hustle. I've, I'm starting a business this summer. Maybe I'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, you know, like I, I, I can afford to do a lot of things that I, uh, I, I know a lot of other people can't, and I'm not super rich. I'm not a millionaire. You all know this. If you've been listening to the program long enough, that this is my journey to full financial freedom and, uh, you know, autonomy and independence before I'm 40. So that way I could work for pleasure and not work for survival. And, um, you know, over the course of the last couple of years of this podcast, that's been the whole point of it. And I think I've made some progress. So heed my warnings when I say that I've made a lot of mistakes and I've made a lot of good decisions and I learned more from my mistakes than my successes. But with that said, I do not take advice about money from poor people or stupid people, especially Stupid poor people or poor stupid people, special interest groups that they are, poor stupid people. I just I just don't. And if they're on Twitter, and I, I also take uh, less. I, I also just don't see a lot of credibility in people that don't use their real names either. So you know, like I'm out there talking my shit. Um, if if I say something wrong, you know, I, I own it. I take responsibility for it. These people can go ahead and give out terrible, terrible financial advice. And um, you know, if some poor sucker takes it then there are no consequences. Um, I put out disclaimers at the beginning of the show when we talk about this specific stuff. So come on, like take, take, some, take some responsibility because stupid is a virus and it's more contagious and more vicious than the, the woo flu and everything else. So be, be careful because stupid does infect, um, especially when it comes to your money. But here was the tweet that, that set off uh, quite a few people. If you consider yourself a smart person and you're looking at the stock markets and crypto market and you're saying, OMG, I have to sell right now before it gets lower so I have cash on hand, you're not smart. You're making the rich richer. Why do I say that? In 2020, when Boeing was looking for a government handout and uh, Halliburton was doing the same thing, a lot of people started paying attention to this. 
And uh, this is just one of many examples, but this is the one big one that a lot of people started really paying attention to. Uh, Boeing was looking for a bailout uh, before March 20th when the, when the crash happened and the circuit breakers had to go off to stop trading. And uh, Halliburton was doing the same thing too. What they were basically doing was they were intentionally leaking, which meant they weren't themselves putting out public statements about how bad their balance sheets were and their debt and everything else. Um, but they were having people basically, you know, they had managers and supervisors going around saying, hey, go take this document and give it to a reporter and don't say it was from you. Say it was from like an inside source. Uh, Boeing, because, you know, they, uh, they, they've they just been circling around debt for many years. Um, and Halliburton, because they were seeing a lot of oil and when oil, uh, oil and gas prices were just completely tanking in 2020. And uh, they were literally having to pay people astronomical amounts of money to just, you know, put their oil on their land to, to store it. Like it was it was a bad situation. I mean, it, it was a rough situation. But, you know, that, that's what these two companies were, were really doing. And um, people were just like, no, we're not bailing out Boeing. Um, oh, and, and screw Halliburton because they're making all this money. All that Dick Cheney money. Oh, they're making all that money, yet they're just getting rid of people left and right. And they're, it seems like somebody from inside the company is leaking all this information. Because here's what, here's what ended up happening. When companies do that, and Halliburton and Boeing were two examples of, of how this happened. When companies intentionally start putting out bad information, well, not bad information, but information about how they're doing that is negative and it freaks people out. What ends up happening is that ma and pa investors, the average Joe, what they start doing is they start, they, they start panic selling or as you crypto bros will say, they start paper handing because they want to make sure that they don't completely lose the paper value of their portfolios. So what they were doing was they knew as we were about to hit a recession because of, of the, of the bat virus and everything else. And because everything looks so bad, um, they started, you know, the, all their shares, all these companies, not just Boeing and Halliburton, but a lot of these big companies, all their shares started dropping. And you know who started buying them up really super cheaply? Uh, politicians. And we know very much about how the insider trading works. It's why there there's, there's currently bills uh, trying to ban uh, sitting members of Congress from buying individual stocks. So the so the the politicians started buying up shares left and right, and then the CEOs and board members and majority stakeholders of these companies started buying up all these shares. Now, why would they do that if everything was so bad? Because two things. One, well, yeah, two things. One, there's always a rebound in the market. There's always a rebound in the market, despite how the crash looks and how many crashes we've had. What I've always said is as long as the dollar is here, America is here. And if America is here, you're here. So unless all those things just collapse and we're dealing with like an Enron style doomsday situation, one or the other, um, I guarantee there's a recovery because there always is. Secondly, these businesses are not made up of insanely stupid people. You might not think they have the best judgment they have, but they have good judgment. They know how to fix the problems they have, even if they're going to be a little embarrassing and a little bit hard. So what they did was as you were selling off your stocks at a loss, they were going in and saying, oh my gosh, 
it's time to go ahead and buy more to one, increase my wealth, two, increase my cash flow if they pay a dividend, and three, up my voting power. So they did that. While you sold at a loss, you lost money. That's what happened. And um, I'm not saying that's entirely what's happening now, but what we've seen is that we've seen uh, a bubble that came from a lot of people having fast access to cheap money, and they were, they were buying things at an accelerated rate, some because of boredom, some because of they didn't know what else to do with an influx of cash, and uh, that's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. But, uh, you know, the, these, these come, and this will not be the last one that we have, and I mean, we're, we're barely, we're not even out of it. I think we're still, we're still in the beginning stages of this. I think it's going to continue out throughout Q1, maybe a bit into Q2, and then we'll start to see your recovery, hopefully towards the summer. But, um, but right now things are, things are a little bit, a little bit hairy. But uh, going back to what I was saying about don't take financial advice from poor people, poor stupid people, is that when that was happening, they were saying, this is the end of the world. And I see this from a lot of libertarians, especially some, some big names. They're like, this is the end of the world. It's the dollar collapse. The stock market is fake. You should have just all bought Bitcoin, and none of it was worth it. We're all just going to die. Um, what I did, and I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because this will tie into what we're going to discuss throughout this episode, is at the time, I was dealing with, uh, with quite a bit of shit going on in March of 2020. I'm going to tell you how I was able to walk out with a 20% profit in, uh, in trading that year. What I did was I had a, I had a 10% pay cut from my job at the Washington Times. Luckily, though, I was able to work from home, so I saved a bit of money, and I also started some side hustles. So I was bringing in about three dollars to $500 a month. Not a lot, but enough to kind of keep me going. And uh, luckily, I was also staying at home with my family. My brother uh, was sent home from college at the time, too. So we were all just stuck around with each other. And because I had saved a, um, a three-month emergency fund at the time, I had some extra money in there beyond what I would have for emergency savings. And uh, that gave me quick access to cash. So what I started doing was I, as some would say, I bought the dip. I bought the day that they said it was like watching 2008 on repeat in terms of how the, the candlestick charts and everything looked when they were just like everything dying. And I was buying into tech, real estate, agriculture, energy. I was buying, like there was no pattern. There was no method. I was buying like fucking crazy. I was going King Kong. I just had a ton of money. And within a few months, I had just like insane growth. And by the end of 2020, I had managed to make a 20% profit in trades that year. Um, and uh, I will never say I was a smart investor. You all know that I'm a dividend investor. I have different portfolios, some that I actively manage, some that are managed by, by other um, you know, capital investment groups and stuff like that. But, you know, so this was mainly like my Robinhood account that I was just fucking around with. Um, I didn't get lucky because I just had this amazing protocol for investing. And I, I'm not even smart enough to say that I could ever repeat that. Where I got lucky was the fact that I followed some basic investing advice, which is when others are greedy, be fearful. 
when others are fearful, be greedy. Having lived through the 2008 financial crisis, having an understanding of how the economy works, and just getting into investing at the time, what I realized is that this was the opportunity for me to build wealth. Because I think it was Warren Buffett and others who have basically said, and I think Ray Dalio is one of them, that well, that riches are made in recessions. There are rich people who come out of stock market crashes while there are also losers. But this is where the, the big riches are made. So instead of listening to a whole bunch of stupid poor people about how to invest my money because everything was just going to hell and the whole world is going to end, I listened to the experts and I did my own research and I bought and bought and bought a bunch of things that I felt at the time were good investments. And luckily, I walked out with a fat profit after about uh, five, six months of just having put a majority of my money into that one week in March and then dollar cost averaging throughout the next couple months. And then when I looked at my returns and everything, I was like, damn, I can sell. I can sell and make money. So uh, that's just an example of you, you got you to listen to the people that have money and know how to make money. And you also have to do what you think makes the best sense for yourself. I could have easily have lost everything as much as I had earned it. But from how everything looked um, and how I felt things were going to go, uh, I got incredibly lucky, and I think I made the best decision. So while I don't recommend just blindly buying, you know, bleeding stocks, um, I don't believe that every stock market crashes the end of the world. I just think that it's a part of the business cycle that we currently run in. So with that said... There are people who I took a lot of advice from now, then, who are doing some wild shit now. And it made me a little bit uncomfortable to see the people that help me make a lot of money and people that I take a lot of uh, personal you know, inspiration from do things that I just, I look at it and I'm like, one, you're either a giant hypocrite or two, maybe you're onto something I'm just too dumb to see it. Or three, maybe I've just gone and evolved past you. One of them is uh, Kevin Paffrath, Meet Kevin. I love Meet Kevin's financial channel. One of the few Democrats I would ever consider voting for. He ran for governor of uh, California last year to recall Gavin Newsom. Very smart guy. Um, If you are getting new into investing, real estate, crypto, any of that stuff, his Meet Kevin YouTube channel is really great. Uh, I I don't know if I'll be regretting saying this now. He certainly doesn't need my endorsement, but I can tell you as I started watching his stuff when I was getting into investing, And um, I I believe that it was a net positive on my life. But according to an article from Business Insider, uh, Kevin went ahead and did the one thing that I never thought I would see him do. As soon as this recent stock market crash started, you know, going electric boogaloo style, just losing losing its its shit over everything, and now everyone is panic selling, Kevin literally sold two, I'm sorry, $20 million of stocks and cryptocurrencies in the course of a couple days. From Business Insider, a popular financial YouTuber has said he dumped $20 million of stocks and cryptocurrencies over the weekend as the market route tests the buy-the-dip impulse of millennial traders. Meet Kevin, real name Kevin Paffrath, has more than 1.7 million subscribers on YouTube and is widely watched by retail investors for his advice on the property and stock markets. 
He shocked his viewers uh, at the weekend by posting a video saying he sold 99% of his portfolio of stocks and cryptocurrencies worth around $20 million. Paffrath said that despite major sell-offs in stocks seen over the past two weeks, he thinks the markets have not yet hit peak fear and that declines have further to go. Um, he did a 30-minute long video, and I, I just read like the highlights from it. I want to go back and actually watch it, but here's some of the takeaways I took also from a recap from Grand Stefan. Um, Kevin thinks that we're in a 1921 cycle, uh, 1929 crash cycle where basically people were using uh, debt and bad credit to um, buy on leverage and just basically fuck around with the market for, for the hell of it. That's, that's basically that. So he thinks that we're in a 1929 uh, scenario where people are investing money they don't have into things they don't understand, which, um, I mean, I, I think is, is usually how things work. I, but uh, the fact that he thinks there's a lot more money coming in from younger people who are just intentionally trying to mess with things. We saw this with, like, the Wall Street bets uh, people. Like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see them having as much power as, uh, as I think some people say they do, but um, he, he thinks we're walking into a 1929 crash scenario. Um, for him to say that, that would have to be worse than 2008 because statistically the 2008 market crash was worse than 1929 if you look at paper value and overall like money wiped off the board. Um, you know, it, it is scary when you look at the crypto market. I mean, $1 trillion was wiped off overnight from people panic selling Bitcoin and other cryptos. So maybe he's, maybe he has a point, but I don't, even if that were the case, I wouldn't say sell anything. Nonetheless, all of what you have. Um, he also is looking at the situation in Ukraine, thinking that we're about to go into World War III. Um, and, and I'll say this, like even if, even if Russia were to invade Ukraine, even if the United States got involved militarily, while that would be disastrous, while that would be difficult as hell, while that would impact everything, nonetheless, the financial markets, unless we are being invaded in the homeland, I still wouldn't freaking sell. And, and, and he's getting a lot of criticism for this, and I'm not going to make a judgment. I, it's not the decision I would make. I think a lot of people are also ignoring the fact that he didn't just take all this money and uh, you know turn it into liquid cash, and, and that's just it. Let's also understand how Meet Kevin uh, didn't do certain things. One, I doubt that he sold all his mutual funds and, and he liquidated his retirement accounts. Um, that would be a large penalty, and that would open him up to more taxes and everything else. I doubt he's doing that. He's a young guy. I doubt he pulled out of his Roth and his 401k and his other mutual funds. I doubt he did that. So he still, he still has exposure, even if that means that he just got rid of all his single stocks. Um, and you know, in terms of, uh, that, I mean, to, he, he didn't say I am completely out of the stock market. All he said was I got rid of my stock in crypto. So pay, pay attention to that. Secondly, he owns a business and he has cash flow from real estate and online courses. So it's not like he also doesn't have cash flow coming in. So yeah, he might be more liquid now, but he still has a degree of exposure 
that being a smaller one, if he just has the general accounts that most people do have, and he still has consistent cash flow coming in. I mean, I mean, he's he's getting money from YouTube as well, so he still has money coming in. He still has exposure to the real estate market, and didn't say he cleared his Roth, didn't say he cleared his four hundred one k mutual funds. I highly doubt he would do that. That doesn't make sense. Those even even if they are tied to the stock market in that degree, he didn't get rid of them. He only got rid of a single stock. So it's not like he is just all out. You know, the world is ending. He just made a very big move when it came to single stocks and cryptos. And um, it it does it does kind of bother me to see him doing that because as somebody who I've taken a lot of uh, you know wisdom from and it, it it makes me really doubt my own self. But I having lived through this several times, when you count two thousand eight, when you count um, what happened in twenty twenty, I would even bring up smaller crashes that occurred and moments of uh of, of economic stagnation during, you know, the, um, the middle of the Obama years, 2010 to 2013 during that recovery period, especially since there was election going on stuff like that. I, I would basically say that my entire life, I mean, hell count nine 11. Well, well, you're at, that was the last time before 2020, they had to go ahead and pull the circuit board because they, they need people to go ahead and stop like financial crashes, threats of doomsday. They just don't mean what they used to mean. So I, I want to go ahead and, you know, do two things. One, what do the experts say when it comes to dealing with a stock market crash? We'll talk about that. And then I want to go ahead and talk to you about what I'm currently doing myself right now. Oh, and in the middle, we'll also just give a quick recap of the shit you should absolutely not do. So we'll go ahead and cover those things. Uh, and th- these articles that I'm going to go ahead and mention are uh, in the show notes today, I went ahead and changed the show notes format because I found that based off uh, which certain apps that you guys listen to the show on, you might not be able to actually click on those links, especially the affiliate links, which help me and the show out. So I'm testing a new format. Please tell me how you like it. But these these notes, these uh, quotes that I'm pulling from these articles, I promise to include in the show notes today. Uh, but this comes from The Motley Fool. Stock market crash. What should you do with your investments? Now, the key points from this article, the stock market recently experienced one of its worst weeks in nearly two years. So we're looking back at the last big one, which was March crash 2020. While it can be tempting to pull your money out of the market, there's a better strategy. And three, it's easier than you think to keep your money safe. The article starts, it's been a challenging few weeks for investors. Cryptocurrency prices have plunged recently, and the Federal Reserve also announced it will be raising interest rates in an attempt to rein in surging inflation. Amid all this uncertainty, stock prices have also been falling. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ both finished their worst week since March 2020, and some investors are concerned that, the crash, that a crash could be looming. While the market is shaky, it can be tempting to withdraw your money and attempt to salvage your investments before price drops even further. However, there is a better strategy that could help you avoid losing money during this crash. And I want to emphasize, like I did read this article, and this is an article that um, they they kind of touch up on each time there's another market scare. This is advice that I myself take. And I could be doing something wrong. I could be doing everything right. But this is where I have made you know some of my educated opinions on. And uh, you, you should do your own research. But I'm telling you, whether you like, you know, somebody said, I don't read The Motley Fool, they're owned by Citadel, blah, 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 whatever. This isn't just their advice. This is advice that comes from 
many long time, very wealthy institutional investors. So I'm going to go ahead and listen to the rich people on this one. Uh, will the stock market crash? One of the most intimidating aspects of the stock market is its unpredictability. Nobody, even the experts, can accurately predict exactly what the markets will do. Though stock prices have taken a tumble recently, nobody knows for certain whether a crash is on the horizon. This unpredictably makes it nearly impossible to time the market or sell your investments before a crash. If you were to sell right now, for example, there's always a chance the market could rebound and you'll miss out on the potential growth. It's also possible to wait too long to pull your money out of the market. If you withdraw after prices drop, you may end up selling your investments for less than you paid for them, locking in your losses. Although stock market volatility can be unnerving as an investor, the good news is that it, does, it doesn't necessarily matter what the market does. It may sound counterintuitive, but one of the best ways to handle volatility is to do nothing. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I took from a, uh investing course on Udemy was that don't think there's a science to the market. Just uh, uh, accept that the stock market is like a living, breathing animal. It catches colds. It gets sick. But, you know, it's not pure rational logic like we would want certain things to be. It's emotional. Why? Because it has all of us in it. We all are the stock. We are all the stock market. All of us are the stock market. It comes with our fears. It comes with our greed. It comes with our ambitions. It's irrational sometimes. It acts on emotion. So when you think of it more as that, and you think of it less as like, you know, Mr. Spock or something, um, I think you'll be more desensitized to moments like this. Okay. The easiest way to avoid losing money. The most important things to remember when investing in the stock market is that you don't lose any money unless you sell. I'm going to repeat that part. Some of you need to really freaking hear this because I know too many people have very little money in and they lose a few dollars and they freak out and then they sell. One of the most important things to remember when investing in the stock market is that you don't lose any money unless you sell. You got diamond hand that long term. Be an investor. Don't just be a speculative trader. Even if stock, even if stock prices plummet, you haven't technically lost anything as long as you continue to hold your investments. And folks, this is why I'm a dividend investor. I could care very little about the paper value of my portfolios, especially the, the single stock portfolios I manage myself that don't belong to like, you know, one of the major um, investing services out there that are managed by them. Um, I, I go for the cash flow. I go for the dividend. I go for the blue chip stocks that pay out regularly because regardless of how it might look that day, red or green, I know that those dividends have to be paid and they will be paid and that I will be the one receiving the payment, making money while I sleep, the only way to get rich. So I, I am also very, very callous because of that because I know that if I sell something that's a good dividend investing stock just because the paper value is going down, I have just cut off an extra access to cash flow. Okay, eventually the market will recover. The stock market has experienced dozens of crashes um, and corrections over the decades, and it's bounced back from every one of them. Sometimes it takes months or even years, but it will recover. By holding your investments, you can simply ride out the storm and wait for prices to rebound. Again, you won't lose anything if you don't sell, and as long as your investments survive, your portfolio will bounce back. Um, the key, then, is to make sure 
you're investing in quality long-term stocks. The best investments are the ones with solid underlying fundamentals, and they're most likely to survive market volatility. By filling your portfolio of strong, healthy companies, it's very likely your investments will survive even the worst market crash. While nobody knows for certain what the future holds in the stock market, you can start preparing now by double-checking that every stock you own is a solid long-term investment and being prepared to hold your stocks despite volatility, you'll be ready no matter what happens with the market. It, it was true 10 years ago. It was true 30 years ago. It's true now. It will be true tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So keep your money in. There's another reason to emphasize the, the other things about it. Why would you need why why would you need to pull out other than to have access to liquidity? What are some of the things that you should probably have to even avoid even having to think about that? Do you have an emergency savings fund for three or six months? Are you working currently? Do you have a side hustle? Do you have another stream of income through something else? These are there there are no there, I'm not gonna say there are no wrong answers, but there are other answers that will hedge you, that will cushion you from looking at this and freaking out and making decisions based on fear. So let's go ahead and go over the don't list. Don't listen to people telling you to buy certain stocks. Kramer, Jim Kramer, went ahead and said last week, Netflix is on the dip. Buy Netflix. Buy Netflix. And what's happening right now? Yeah, Netflix is on the dip, but it's even going far below what Kramer even did. And I don't think he's buying it today because even he's probably looking at it thinking, shit, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is going even lower. So don't listen to anybody tell you to buy any specific stock. Just don't. Nobody. Even the people that I think are incredibly smart, because I've even called some individuals who are very financially savvy and everything else. I've asked them what to buy. They've just been like, dude, I'm not even gonna tell you what I'm doing. I don't even know what I'm doing yet. So don't listen to people telling you buy certain stocks. Um, what this is an opportunity to do is to um, you know also kind of make sure that you could take a look at what areas are being hit more than others. It, it can be a good opportunity to see what areas of the market that you're too concentrated on. So that's one thing. The other don't. Don't listen to people who don't have money tell you about money. Don't listen to the person that's making 20 tweet chains who has an American flag as their portfolio and their, you know, Minuteman, Trump MAGA, Revolutionary for Liberty 26, who's saying that buy golden bullets, it's the end of the freaking world. Screw all those people, okay? Listen, I don't make the best decisions all the time, but I'm never going to tell you definitively that this is the end of the world and shit like that. People who do that are stupid. Don't listen to stupid people. I have made money. I've lost a lot of money, but right now, I've, I, you know, throughout my life, I made a lot of good decisions. I made a lot of bad decisions. I've learned from them. What I can say, though, is that I'm wealthier than the people that are telling you the world is ending and the stock market is imaginary and the dollar's gone collapse. I'm wealthier than them. I freaking know it. So don't listen to them. Don't, you don't even have to listen to me. Don't do your own research. Make your own judgments. Don't act out of fear. But really, do not listen to stupid people. Do not listen to people who don't have money tell you about money. Because two things. One, if they had money, they wouldn't be living the way they are. And two, they would have money. They wouldn't be telling you that shit. They would be charging you for that shit. You think they're going to give you their best tips? No, that's, that's not how it works. And don't sell out of fear. A lot of this is stuff I've already told you, but I just really wanted to reemphasize that. 
So to, to kind of wrap things up, to, to kind of cap off the show, I just want to kind of go into like, what, what am I doing at this time? What have I done? Um, you know, the, the, the one thing that I had to do, just because of inflation alone, I had some extra cash that I've been holding for a rainy day. I went ahead and took all my free cash, which is cash that I did not need for an emergency savings and cash that I was not saving up for a specific uh, short-term or long-term payment. This was cash that I was just kind of holding for a rainy day. Um, I went ahead and took all of that and I bought it into a variety of specific single stocks that I'd been looking to purchase when they started to drop. I'm not going to tell you what those were um, because I don't, I don't want to tell you that then have you go do. I know some people will just tell you like, oh, I bought this, this, and this. I'm not going to tell you that. But what I will say is that I did buy into several ETFs and into one very large blue, trip, blue chip uh, company that lost about 5% within a day that I had been looking into buying uh, you know, some to add to my portfolio for a while. Um, and ironically, it, it, it ended up dropping another 5% for a total 10% drop in two days, like the next day. So I could have, e- I could have gotten it even cheaper if I waited a day, but whatever. I, I, bought, I bought a full share of this. It's got a very nice 4.9% uh, dividend, which is amazing. And it's, um, I'll give you a hint it's to, into this one. It's the largest asset manager in the world worth trillions of dollars. I think it's $10 trillion. So if you do your homework, you deserve to learn that. But I bought that. And I bought some ETFs. And then what I did was I went ahead and I opened a portfolio uh, with Fundrise. Um, we'll, we'll get into Fundrise uh, later. But uh, otherwise, I maintain, you know, I, as I mentioned quite often, I'm a dividend investor. I care about cash flow. I buy into blue chip stocks that pay reliable and reoccurring uh, monthly, quarterly, and annually dividend annual dividend. So that way I'm getting paid as I sleep. And I'm not doing anything different with that. I'm reinvesting all my dividends I earn daily. And um, regardless of the paper value of, of my portfolio and the state of the market, I'm still not withdrawing those dividends into liquid cash into my account. I'm just reinvesting those into the companies that pay them uh, to go ahead and just take advantage of this moment and build that wealth. Um, uh, I, I'm going bullish on Bitcoin. And I know that a lot of people are, are paper handing, but listen, um, everyone was saying around 2008 when that crashed that Bitcoin was going to go zero. Some people, I see them saying that now. Peter Schiff, the gold guy, is saying that's going to go zero. Listen, the odds of it going to zero are lesser than it going to 100K one day. That's just it. Bitcoin is here to stay. When there's no humanity, there will be no Bitcoin. And when there is no humanity and no Bitcoin, that means Bitcoin doesn't have value. Bitcoin has value because we, the people, have put value into it. Um, remember, the dollar value of Bitcoin is not a reflection of Bitcoin. One Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. It is, the, it is a reflection of the U.S. dollar. So understand, as we continue to inflate and everything else, regardless as to how the market spins of Bitcoin, Bitcoin will always be a, a good investment. It's where I'm going to be putting uh, probably 15% in of my monthly income next month. I'm going to be putting it directly in Bitcoin. I'll probably put some percentage of that 15%. I'm still deciding. I've got a couple days. Um, I will probably put that into some altcoins such as ADA, uh, Ethereum, uh, USDC. But I only really invest in altcoins now that I can uh, uh, that I can that I can yield farm, which means if I stake them, I'm getting uh, interest paid on those. And some sometimes you can get as much as a 4.9% interest paid 
uh, by staking coins. If you're interested in getting into crypto and everything else, I've got a link down below for Coinbase. Uh, when you go ahead and spend $100, you get $10 in Bitcoin. So, and you can learn all about that stuff there. So the only altcoins I'm buying are the, are the altcoins that I'm earning yield from. Um, and then, you know, like for my 401k and my other accounts, like, you know, I, I, I maxed out my Roth at the beginning of the year. Um, so that's all good to go. But for like my mutual funds and my other retirement accounts, I'm still, you know, I'm still meeting my employer match. I'm still, um, you know, automatically investing every, every month and reinvesting those dividends. That's not changing. That's not changing for me at all. Oh, excuse me if you hear a hard edit there. I had to cough. Um, yeah, so no, that's changing. I am going to be investing a little bit of money into this market, but because it's it seems to be going down at a rate that I'm very uncertain about and I'm a bit more fearful about. I'm not going to be as greedy right now when it comes to actually investing in the single stocks. I will be putting a smaller degree of money into two ETFs that are, um, you know, that are, that are, uh, you know, exposed to me the entire market. I think they're at good value right now. I'll be, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to contradict myself earlier about telling, not telling you something by me because I want to influence you. I want to tell you this one, like VTI VOO, I can tell you that I'm seeing all the other big finance guys saying that they're going heavy into this. I'm not going heavy into VTI and VOO, which are some of the best ETFs out there, but I will be, those will be the only ETFs that I'm putting money to into monthly at this time. And I'm putting uh, 1% uh, into gold. You know, I know people say gold is for old people, but you know, I don't care. Gold is still a good hedge. Gold still has a use. Um, well, I don't think we'll be trading gold bullions in uh, Mad Max's Thunderdome. I think we'll be, you know, trading condoms, alcohol, and bullets. Uh, you know, gold is still gold. So I'm going to put a little bit of money into gold. And then uh, I went ahead and started a Fundrise account. And I want to talk to you about Fundrise. I, this will be the first year that I am exposed to real estate. And this is something I've wanted to do for a while. I'm not uh, investing into individual properties, but I'm investing into a Fundrise E-REIT. And uh, this is something I've wanted to do for a while. And I think now's a really good time to uh, jump into it now. I mean, the, the interest rate issue is going to be affecting a degree of the market uh, when it comes to housing and stuff. But I think now was the, be was the best time to get into real estate because I, I happen to have the, the cash to get involved. And Fundrise is basically a, crowd a crowdfunding platform. It works kind of like a, a capital investment group where basically this, uh, this organization pools money together to buy different assets and stuff like that, you know, buy commercial uh, real estate and develop it and everything else. So I want to go ahead and just read a little bit about Fundrise. I will go, just go ahead and give a disclaimer. There's a link in the show notes today where if you join Fundrise, you get your management fees waived for 90 days. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and sign up with the link below. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit from this real estate investing guide that uh, Fundrise went ahead and provided. With its ability to earn consistent income, track record of long-term appreciation, and capacity to diversify an investment portfolio, real estate is used by many smart investors to build wealth. In fact, those who diversify a portion of their portfolio in real estate investments have historically outperformed those who haven't. So what are the benefits of investing in real estate? Real estate features a unique combination of short-term and long-term earning potential as well as diversification power not found in any other asset class. So while you're thinking, oh, the stock market is 
just the same as the real estate market. Don't, don't think of that. Not all investing is equal. This is completely different. One of the things that uh, you know they're, they're going to provide you here is consistent cash flow. For many investors, the ability to create consistent cash flow is one of the most important, attractive aspects of real estate investing. Uh, some examples include equity ownership in apartment buildings that earn income through rental payments or loans that earn income through the interest payments. Uh, long-term gain potential, diversification. Um, you know, it's the, the housing market has traditionally outperformed the stock market when it comes to this type of stuff. It's, it has more consistency and less volatility. Uh, this article goes ahead and says that private market real estate has little correlation with the stock market performance because they're traded in separate markets. So if you want to invest still and you're not currently invested in real estate and you're kind of scared when it comes to crypto and stocks, this might be something that you want to look into sooner than later. Um, the difference is uh, th- this difference plus less efficient dynamics of the private market and fewer and far fewer da- uh, large daily changes in values has made its performance less volatile and more stable than the stock market. So while a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't know if this is the time, I don't know if this is whatever, like, listen, it's better to be exposed now and, and to get access now than to never get it because there's always going to be a reason not to get to the stuff. So, you know, the, the, finally, the opportunity to get into actually exposing myself to real estate, to generating cash flow through real estate, something I've wanted to do for a while. Uh, you can go ahead and read this article on Fundrise, but if you want to go ahead and join and get 90 days of management fees waived, go ahead and sign up uh, with the link below. Now, lastly, and, th- you know, this is, this is the overarching theme of this show. This is the overarching theme of all our episodes I try and put together. Good or bad, administration A or administration C, regardless of what is happening, your number one generator of wealth is you and your skills and your ability to produce value for other people. Um, what helped me during the worst moments of my life and what's helping me now build wealth and income during uh, you know, a, a very blessed moment of my life is my ability to use the power of the internet and my ability to learn fast and adapt fast to generate money. And if you have not begun to understand the importance of different active and passive streams of income outside of your regular nine to five, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to be working until the day you die. There's, there's not going to be social security for us. I'm 27. There's no social security waiting for us millennials. When you look at the people who are buying up all the real estate, buying up all the hard assets and everything, what are they doing? They're trying to create cash flow. If you want to go ahead and free yourself from having to rely on one source of income to give yourself the ability to have enough cash on hand to solve a lot of your problems, because I know money can't solve every problem. I know a lot of problems that can be solved by money. This is why you need Hustlers University. They're not paying me to say this. I'm telling you this as a Hustlers University student. I've mentioned this on several shows. I've been a freelancer and a side gig promoter and uh, all these things, video, video and audio editor, copywriter, consultant. I've had side gigs out my ass for 20 million things. And let me tell you, if I had access to Hustlers University four or five years ago, I would be living in a bigger apartment. <laughs> I live in a pretty nice one right now, but I would not be living here. I would, uh, I would have made a lot of, uh, 
a lot of different choices, but whether you want to learn about freelancing, copywriting, crypto trading, personal finance, if you want access to teachers who teach all those things, who actually have done them to make money, these aren't your tenured professors who tell, who are experts in their field, but have never done any of the things that they're telling you, who have never made money off the things that they're telling you. If you want to learn from the people who are actively making money, if you want access to them as well as exposure to people from around the world who are learning and trading ideas and, you know, talking about the topics that really freaking matter to you. If you want to learn how to even just bring in a few hundred dollars a month, and some of the people that are posting their wins in these groups, like, my God, they're pulling in life-changing amounts of money. Ask yourself, what would an extra thousand dollars a month do to help you? If the answer is it would do a lot, then you need Hustlers University. And the link is below to sign up. I'm even in it. I'd like to think that I know a thing or two about how to raise money through side income, through active and passive means. But let me tell you, I pay the monthly fee. I will be in there with you. We can go ahead and we, we can take courses and listen in on things and argue with other people together. I'm in it. I think you would get value in it because I can already tell you that's provided a ton of value for me. Hustlers University Sign up in the show notes. It's 50 bucks a month. It's the best investment you could put into yourself right now. Hustlers University. All right, folks. That's a lot of talking. That's a lot of really hard shit about difficult times. So I'm hoping that I could ease your mind a little bit. I was able to provide some value. If you want to go ahead and provide some value back, all those links uh, give me a little bit of a return for getting you to sign up for those. These aren't links that I'm just promoting just because they give something. They're all services I use, Coinbase, Fundrise, Robinhood, Webull, Hustlers University. I have my money tied up in these. I use them as a client. I, I would not tell you to use something that I do not use personally. So please go ahead and use any of those affiliate links if something caught your fancy. And consider leaving the show a five-star review across whatever app you're using all over Al Gore's amazing internet. As always, be good, be safe. I'll talk to you later.